American United is the full-service credit union for our veterans. Learn more about their 1% cashback visa with low fixed rates as well as cash back on every purchase. It's one of the ways they can give back to their members. Learn more at amucu.org. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Alan Doan from Missouri Star Quilt Company. Well, the intent, the intent is that, like, if you don't know the acronyms, it's built to try and keep people out. It's a cool club. And if you do know the acronyms, well, then you're in and you've been there long enough to sort of prove your worth. And it's like, well, screw that, man. Like, nobody needs that stuff. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, we want to invite you to get involved in the charity our founders helped start called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the U.S. and globally. The top project you could help with now is in Cusco, Peru. There are 20 girls that the local government rescued but didn't have anywhere to keep them safe, so they put them in jail. The government has said that they're willing to give custody of these kids to the aftercare facility we're helping to expand now once we raise enough money and build an extra building there. To learn more, please click on the Child Rescue tab on our website, which is iCollective.co. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Al, thanks for making time. You are welcome. So um, for people who don't uh, frequent the quilting world, uh, you guys are a bit of a, a powerhouse, doing over a million orders a year, 300 employees. Um, but you, you took the non-traditional route to, uh, to business ownership and school in general, huh? First off, who is not in the quilting world, Jess? That's silly. No, the uh, yeah, yeah, we did take a little bit of an unorthodox approach. I mean, we uh, we've we've got this quilt company that essentially we started for my mom. Me and my sister got it going for for Mama Doan, and uh, that was that was just going to be a cute little thing on the side for her that ended up becoming my full time gig, which is kind of fun. And um, help, t- for people who who don't know the mystique, tell us about. Uh, all the stores and how it works. And the, and now there's like busloads of visitors that come out and, and see this in person. Yeah, dude, it's, it's sweet. If you ever get to Kansas city area, take the drive 40 minutes North and come see us. We're on the, on the way to just almost nowhere. Um, but we're in a town of about 1500 people. And, uh, and that's where we started the business. And now it's turned into, uh, we've sort of bought most of the buildings in town. So we have like two city blocks that we've turned into shops and, and so we have 14 different shops, 12 quilt shops and uh, a welcome center and a men's land. So if, you know, a husband brings his wife out to shop, he's got a place he can go and kick back in the big leather recliner and watch TV, play some pool. And then uh, and then 12 quilt shops for for people to shop through. So if you love fabric, you come here like it's it's this magical experience. Right. We have every every kind of fabric you've ever seen and all things in between that. Then uh, as we were building that and trying to like grow our both our employee base and our customer base, we realized that we needed more uh, town and needed a little more charm. So we've got three restaurants that we run here and then a little hotel that we 
that we put in. So it's sort of the, the entire Disneyland for quilting experience is how we've how we've sort of structured it. And so if you're a, if you're a grown woman, uh, this is your Disneyland. You found it. <laughs> yeah, my wife would love it. We she got into like indie sewing a few years ago, and we've got this one room in our house that's like you know floor to ceiling, all these different color coded fabrics. So uh, Dude, I get the addiction. It's so good, man. Well, a lot of people like it's interesting, uh, the shopping behavior, because a lot of people like collect fabric, right? They actually buy it with no intent to use it. They just buy it because they love it. And uh, and so, I mean, it's it's sort of giving that experience or letting people go through and find that one thing that's going to fit perfect or that is expresses their style and and is the color and everything that they're trying to find. Because, I mean, the, the thing that's, that's crazy is is there's a lot of desire to create that's in everybody, right? I mean, we all have that sort of innate as a, as a human being, we want to create something. And, uh, and quilting is one of those things. It's a very practical hobby. And so, you know, sometimes you can't give yourself two hours to go to the garage and paint. And, uh, because, you know, it's, it's beautiful, but like, you got to run a house, you gotta, you gotta do laundry, you gotta cook, you gotta go to work, you gotta do all that stuff. But quilting at its core is this like very functional hobby. You're making a blanket. So you sort of – you justify it differently than I think some other hobbies or crafts would, would let you. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm thinking about <laughs> the trip that we met on together, that CEO trip out in New York. And we're eating dinner there with Alex Blumberg, the guy who uh, – from from the podcast Startup or, you know, worked on This American Life and all those. And uh, I, I really did think – Man, if this quilting thing doesn't work out, Al needs to become a stand-up comedian because oh, was. <laughs> because you you had nonstop jokes. I mean, how long were we at dinner? That dinner was like three or four hours, and like <laughs> you didn't stop. Like it was it was constant. You had you had some legit material. Um, uh, I'm I'm a little bit of a class clown. That's uh, that's fair. Well, I think it's so fun that you like, you know. I think more people would like guess you for, you know, being in the something to do with the football industry or something just from your physical size. And I love the, the six, seven, 260 pound massive man that I am. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I loved how many of the jokes were like, obviously someone like me, when you look at this, the, the first thought that comes to mind is quilting, isn't it? So yeah. uh, I, I think that it, uh, I think That's it so works well for you. I kind of embrace it, man. You, you, well, you have to, right? It's it's actually, uh, I mean, believe it or not, the, up until about two, maybe three years ago, um, I I would never introduce myself as the owner of a quilt company because I, you know, it's weird. I think every startup guy goes through this, where you sort of you sort of want to overplay your hand. You want people to believe that you're worth talking to, and so you try and sell yourself a little bit. We all we all do it. And, uh, and I never, I never felt like my pink business card and quilting really told the story of who I was, you know, and, and even to this day, there's people that I'll, you know, I sort of introduce myself to and they hear quilting and they say, oh, that's cute. Like, anyway, I'm, I'm going to go talk to these guys doing real stuff. And, uh, and it, it takes you a little bit of, of time to get to the, the level of confidence where you can be okay with that, where you, you don't feel the need to prove yourself or, or uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know what exactly that psychology is, but there's there's something in there that because I would introduce myself as a as a tech startup guy. I used to work with a group called Tech Stars and stuff, and I I do all that jazz. And then I I you know so I was a tech investor, and I could introduce myself in a lot of different ways. And I wouldn't just come out and say what I was doing. And uh, and once I was able to 
you know, sort of not need the approval of the people in my peer group, this, you know, this sort of startup world, I was okay with them not being blown away by what I do. It freed me up to just go and be me, which, which was uh, a much better experience than, than what, you know, spending all of your time and energy trying to make people see that what you're doing matters. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I actually feel like that is a big advantage because you own it so hard it actually is like a leverage point. Like n- there's zero people on that trip that don't know what you did. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Where, yeah. you know, I can think of it, you know, there's but, but I can, a lot of them probably don't know how big it is. Right. No, that got around real quick oh, uh, well. around the rest of the crowd. <laughs> when you weren't around, they're like, do you know how big his quote company is? <laughs> da, da, da. Um, oh. And, well, my uh, intention was not to brag that far. My intention was just to be a great quilter. No, no, but you're hilarious, and it's and it's like this great juxtaposition. It's like you're a little bit of like the Richard Branson, where you're willing to like let yourself be the marketing, the like the level of unexpectedness, you know. <laughs> well, and, you. and then everyone else tells the story for you once you're gone. But um, I I want to talk about um, something you just brought up for a minute um, when you're when you're starting this. Um, you were back at Symantec, is that right? That's right. Yeah. And, and tell us about what you were doing there. So those guys had bought a company called Altiris, which was out of the University of Utah. Uh, and it was, a, it was like, a, I don't know, like competition with Semantic Ghost and all that kind of stuff. So, so they bought this group and Altiris had a great consulting delivery practice where, in how they would build their, their consulting organization. And so they hired us on. We were a team of about six guys and girls that were out there trying to scale that, that consulting strategy up to semantics. So we were taking it from, I don't know, I don't, I don't remember the numbers. It was like a $200 million company to a $2 billion company or something ridiculous like that. And, uh, and so we were just out there, you know, as uh, the thing that I do really well as an individual is I speak the language of both tech and business, right? Like I, I've always found business to be rather intuitive and college I tried to take like business and marketing classes and I thought they were the stupidest thing I'd ever sat in because because everything I mean it it doesn't make sense to me how you couldn't see some of these things where they're like if you increase your price your margins go which way everybody up and you're like yeah this is the dumbest class like why do I have to do this group project with all these people about this thing that obviously is supposed to be this way and so uh you know that I I could always sort of sell on that side. And uh, at the same time, I have a deep love and appreciation for all of my, you know, geekiness that I, that I have. And so being on both sides of that, that's where I, that's where I found my, my niche. And so with Mantic, that's where I landed with those guys was being a little bit of both selling into the CEO side and being able to talk to those guys and present what we were working on and sell the vision. Yeah. So, you know, one of the ID, one of our, product lines at ideation collective we we do sales training we bring in like former intelligence officers from the u.s intelligence community like former case officers and really you know teach companies the like the rapport building and the the kind of things that it takes when you're trying to get somebody to turn against their government right (laughs) but how do those apply to everyday sales when you think about something like that ability to speak the language how much of how important is that to you? Do you think when it comes to relating people, as being able to know the acronyms and being able to signal that you come from the same world as them? 
Well, it's funny because like I'm not from an NBA world, right? And so when I get into some of those meetings, those guys, you know, when they try and flesh you out as a fraud with their acronym, let them. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to try and pretend that I know what, what this stuff is, but I know my numbers and I know what numbers matter. And, uh, and I can chase that down. Right. When you, when you get caught up trying to, trying to swim in the same water as everybody else and, and not, you know, (laughs) when you're afraid to be vulnerable, I guess, uh, even in meetings where people are trying to hurt you, it, it hurts. Right. And so I'd much, you know, I'd much rather just sort of own that, that side of the conversation by saying, yeah, I mean, I have no idea what that acronym is. You want to, you like, what number are you actually looking for? And we can we can go after it, but I don't know your C T R S M P, right? Like, like, quit BSing with that <laughs> stuff. What, what are we actually looking for? Um, and so, so like by by not trying to own a lot of that, I've been it's actually been a huge benefit because it's freed me up from from being afraid that people will realize that I didn't go to grad school or whatever it is and uh and instead just sort of own it out front and then even the people that i work with like in my own company uh it lets us focus on the stuff that matters you know you watch like elon musk banning acronyms where he's like no we're not doing this well the intent the intent is that like if you don't know the acronyms it's built to try and keep people out it's a cool club and if you do know the acronyms well then you're in and you've been there long enough to sort of prove your worth and it's like well screw that man like nobody needs that stuff so let's not be that way and let's be okay just just uh you know I was always the kid in class that would raise my hand and say I have no idea what you're talking about. And you know the the 30 other kids were like oh good cuz we didn't know either but we thought we were the dumb ones. <laughs> and, and you know that that skill has always been with me and it's actually super valuable to be the guy that's okay saying hey can you got to explain this differently cuz I have no idea what you're trying to say right now. But you know what I think is fascinating about that is you know, there's a reason that, uh, you know, plenty of ancient scriptures refu- refer to humans as sheep, right? Yeah, um, yeah. We're built to follow confidence, right? When when we feel like somebody else has it figured out, so many of us, we skip the due diligence and we just do what the other guy did, even though we, we don't yeah, like to admit it in person, right? That's true. So somebody who has done enough preparation to know their numbers and know that they know what's important. So if somebody's bringing something up, uh, that is outside of that. It's, you know, it, it doesn't scare them because they know they know what they know. They're less likely to fake it. Right. Which well, well, it's funny. It's funny because like, you know, we talked about me being funny earlier, but like, that's my, that's my coping mechanism for a lot of this stuff. Right. Like I, I can be wrong and then crack a joke and, and off we go. Like, you know, it lets me sort of address a lot of this stuff without, uh, without needing to know or be perfect because, it's funny. I mean, no, that's that's humor for a lot of people. It's you deflect with that, and then uh, and then are able to ask the question that you're actually thinking, right? And I do the same thing where, where you know, ha, 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 I'm I'm a quilter, but like by setting that precedent, no one's expecting me to be a genius businessman, and so then I got to go in and actually find stuff out and ask questions and be very approachable. Where if I like if I came in and said I run this multi million dollar company and I do X Y and Z, well, it's immediately distanced me from you and and uh, you know tried to set me up as something that I don't feel is accurate in terms of describing me. So it's you know it's it's all sort of related in terms of of uh, you know using our coping mechanisms to get in there and and just be vulnerable or be raw. Well, and that's, I, I think it's great that you've brought up that word a couple of times, vulnerable. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Brene Brown books and her TED talk about vulnerability. And um, it's funny how there's this 
original thought for a lot of people who maybe are showing up to something with some insecurities to feel like I can't be vulnerable, then I'll be seen as weak if I if I well, share my <laughs> vulnerability. Where really, it's only the extremely confident people that are willing to be vulnerable in public because if you're not if you don't need the external sources to provide your internal value in life, right, then you can afford to be vulnerable. And well, everyone else picks up on that. Well, because like if you came in, if you came in with your with your little startup and were like, hey, here's the stuff that I'm really bad at and I'm trying to figure this thing out. Can you help? Well, everybody's going to try and help you. But when you come in and you're trying to prove that you're something, uh, it it just puts everybody off. And I, I think, I mean, I talk a lot about about this failure stuff. I actually had a, an interesting experience. I started seeing a, uh, a life coach, right. Which is just a therapist. I guess the men let themselves see, cause we see coaches, not therapists. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I started seeing this life coach and, and, you know, we, she's talking to me about some, my dating exploits. And she's like, you know, Al, you got to look at these failures, not as failures. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And I was like, lady, listen, I come from the startup world. I preach the gospel of failure is a good thing. Let's start at zero. Like that's what I sing all day long. So don't talk to me about seeing failure as a good thing. That's what I do. She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But with business, you can only talk like that because you've had a success, right? Until you have a success, you can't like failure is still very, very raw and it hurts. And the second you have a success, your rhetoric goes from, from uh, trying to prove your worth to everything was just a prelude to getting me to this moment here. And if I didn't fail in all those other business, I, I wouldn't have learned. <laughs> right. And like, and, and when you don't have a success, you're listening to this and you're like, you're like, that guy's full of crap. Uh, but when you do have a success, you, you can look back on it and it's all very anecdotal. Well, the same goes true with dating, right? Like I'm, I'm a single guy. And when you're sitting on the couch with your buddy and you're like, man, this dating racket is rough. Being single is not the best place to be. And then they go and get engaged three weeks later and they turn around and they say, hey, chin up, buddy. It'll happen for you. Everything's going to be great. There's somebody out there. You're like, shut up. How dare you? Three weeks ago, you were on the couch with me talking about how crappy Saturday nights were. And now all of a sudden, everything is going to work out for everybody. Like, shut your face. And uh, but but as soon as you have that success, all the failures have brought you to that point. It's all anecdotal. Right. And so I think I think the. The, the challenge is being being a failure without a success. Is there any way that you could just that you're OK or that you have the, the faith in yourself that like it will work out and it's going to be fine. Right. Like if I go and start over again and let's say I lose a quilt company, everything goes to bust like I because I've had this one success. I am much more patient in the process and I'm much less frantic and I and I feel the need to. Uh, to prove to everybody much less for my next idea. I'm just okay with the process because I've seen the success, but it, I, I don't know if there's any way possible for me to do that without, uh, without have, have, having had that right. Even, even dating, right. If I knew that at 35, I was going to find the girl of my dreams. And it was going to be amazing and everything was going to work out. That's a much easier way to live and you don't have to worry about it. You're fine. Right. But like, but like right now there's part of me. It's like, well, I want to go and live in Switzerland, but, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know how to speak Swiss. Um, am I not going to meet anybody over there? Well, I guess I better stay in the States or, you know, I'm, I'm stuck in this region that I put myself in when really, uh, there's a big part of us that would love to just go and, and be completely carefree and then show up when it was going to work out. 
but but we can't do that because we don't believe in the process yet. We don't have faith in that in that process that everything will work out, quote unquote. And so, I, man, I I don't know exactly I don't know exactly how to fix that if you haven't had a success. But once you've had a success, everything everything gets so much easier that way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I I spent the first part of my twenties completely annoying my friends with inflating like how good I was doing at these like online businesses that weren't going anywhere. And I, of course, was in also in the prestigious multi-level marketing business as a 21 year old. That was, that was awesome. It was pretty much awesome. Um, (laughs) And, uh, and what's funny is, you know, for us, for my wife and I, we, we did like, we had our big, you know, our, our big success at, at 24 and the net worth, you know, got a whole bunch of zeros on it. Right. And all of a sudden, it it was like this whole different world. We proceeded to lose it all the f- the following year, but <laughs> as but, any good rich person should. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's still painful, but um, uh, I know what you mean, and it's funny because I definitely every time somebody'd say like, you know, it's like guys whose books I love today, like um, John Maxwell wrote "Developing the Leader Within" or whatever his book "Failing Forward." I was just like, you guys are such so full of crap. I just want to win. What's all this, this failure is good crap. Like, how about this? You take the failure. I'll take the win. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, you don't you, like, you don't, I mean, it's, it's just, it's hard to get in that space where you're okay with it. And, uh, and, and it's, it's even harder to get the advice from people that are in that space that are okay with it when you're not, you just feel like you feel like everybody's being completely disingenuous. And so to put yourself in a space where you can have those conversations or start to understand that, uh, it's great. I, I just wish that every entrepreneur struggling to get started out there could let go of the ego and let go of all that stuff and, and be okay with the process, uh, and genuinely believe that, you know, like everything was sort of working, working them towards the right, the right space that they were doing it right. Uh, instead of putting, mounting all that pressure and stress on themselves thinking that, yeah, you know, well, cause like I did it myself, dude, I have to get a success before I can let myself go back out in public. I got to go and get a success. And then, and then you get it, but it's in the most unhealthy way ever. And now I'm paying the price, both in terms of like my health and my balance and all that stuff. So don't, don't do that, kids. Don't do that. You know, there's a great video my brother sent me because he and I have done this, you know, make enough money to retire and then lose it all a couple times together. And yeah. uh, he sent me this video a couple of years ago that I've been passing on like crazy. It's called The Long Game. Um, it's by Delve. You can find it on Vimeo or or YouTube. And it's the first one's just the long game part one, why Leonardo da Vinci was once a loser. And it goes through like how everybody likes to celebrate their big wins eventually. And they love to skip over like the decade of failure in between or the decade and a half of learning in between. And the uh, highlight reel, man, that's what people want. Yeah. Right. Anyways, it, it's like, it was like, uh, <laughs> that video was like therapy for me. Anyways, <laughs> Um, no, it, it feels good when uh, when you can get in a space where that makes sense, man. Yeah. Well, listen, let's cut that off for part one. Um, to hear more about where Al came from and how he got here, tune in tomorrow for part two. We're going to cut off part one of the interview there in the interest of time. We've had feedback that people would rather have 20 to 30 minute episodes. So we're going to break the interviews in half. Please check back tomorrow for part two of the interview. And as always, come to iCollective.co for show notes and 
To learn more about Child Rescue, go to the menu and look at our Child Rescue page and see if that's something that you'd like to get involved with. Thanks for listening. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.